here we go. Uh, hi, everyone. I am Michael Lewanski. I am the conductor of Ensemble Del Niente. I'm here uh, in my hosting duties of the Del Niente podcast, Fellow Travelers. Um, I'm here um, th th this week. It, this week, it's a bonus week. Um, I have not one but two composers for you, um, Anthony Chung and Wang Lu, um, who also happen to live in the same household um, because they are married, um, which is, that's definitely a thing I want to talk about is like how two great composers could possibly, you know, too, too much talent in the same household. I don't know how you would deal with that. But just that's why we used virtual backgrounds, you know, <laughs> to get the illusion that we're 3,000 miles away. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> when in fact, you're just in separate rooms. Um, so, uh, just some quick biographical notes for both of them. And I want to comment about your bios that a thing that I really like about both of your bios is that it doesn't start out with a laundry list of all the cool stuff you've done, which, of course, you've both done a lot of cool stuff. Both of your bios kind of start out with like, something about art which is really nice i think because you know so many people's bios seem kind of macho and like what we're trying to do is you know show how fancy we are so we i really appreciate that your bios sort of start with the art however that's not my job here i want to talk about how fancy you are um maybe i'll just talk about about lou first um no problem <laughs> we're all stuck at home so you know that's it's just the natural sounds of home um composer and pianist wang lu was born in xian I don't know how to pronounce that word. Please correct me, Lou. Um, the ancient capital of China. Um, being brought up in a musical family with strong Chinese opera and folk music traditions, her work reflects a very natural identification with those influenced through the prism of contemporary instrumental techniques and new sonic possibilities. Since 2015, um, Wang Lu is an assistant professor at the, at the, of music at Brown University, where she teaches composition and theory. Um, she's the Spring 2019 Berlin Prize Fellow in Composition at the American Academy in Berlin and was a 2014 Guggenheim Fellow. She won the first prize at the Nouvelle Ensemble Moderne's Young Contemporary Composers Forum, sorry, Young Composers Forum in 2010, and shared the Toctus International Composers Orchestra Forum Award in 2008. Um, and then I'm not going to read the list, the boring list of all the wonderful um, ensembles that, are, that have played her music, but just trust me that it is long and it's everyone. Um, she has written a lot of pieces and has, has been played by top performers like Ensemble Taliente, for instance. Oh, yeah, she stayed with Fred Lairdal, Tristan Murai, George Lewis, and Cho Wen Chung. And she's published by Project Shot New York um, and also sort of self-published as well. Um, Anthony Chung is, uh, you know, ha has, um, has been uh, assistant professor at the University of Chicago since 2013, I think. Um, but um, in, in something that I will never forgive him for um, is now leaving Chicago to take a position at Brown, um, which I'll ask him about. Um, and I will only let him take that position if he promises to come back to Chicago frequently. Um, uh, but in other news, he um, studied at Harvard and Columbia with Tristan Murai and Bernard Rands. Um, he's also won a bunch of cool prizes. Um, he was composer in residence with the Cleveland Orchestra from 2015 to 2017. Um, he, he got the Guggenheim Fellowship in 2016, Rome Prize in 2012, um, first prize in the 2008 Dutilio competition. He co-founded the, the Talia Ensemble in 2007 and was a pianist with that and artistic director, uh, director of the group. He is, in addition to being a terrific composer, a fabulous pianist. Um, uh, you know, it plays jazz at a really high level, um, just as an amazing um, musician all around. Wrote a dissertation on Ligeti's Hamburg Concerto, which I actually didn't know until I was looking this up one of my favorite pieces and I'm glad to know that um, 
glad to know that you like it as well. Um, uh, his body of work uh, ranges from solo to orchestral works, um, reveals an interest in the ambiguity of sound sources and the subtle transformation and manipulation of timbre allied with harmony. Um, and we will um, surely talk more about that. And I've conducted both of their pieces and they're both close friends. So thank you for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Um, how did, so, so I actually don't think I know this. How did you guys meet? Uh, we met at Columbia as graduate students. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a small program, as you know. Uh huh. Yeah. You were the, were you there at the same time? You, you must maybe. Um, maybe he you're... came one year before I did. Anthony entered in two thousand four, and I came from Beijing in two thousand five. Okay. Yeah. Do do you do you remember when you met? Do you remember like the first conversation you had? Um, um, I think the first time we met was just prior to classes. Uh, starting and we went out for um, for Sichuan food in um, this place called Wuliangye, uh, which is uh, I don't know if it still exists in, in New York, but it was like a staple of Sichuan cuisine in New York. One of the one of the first like really authentic places. Um, and we were there with uh, with another composer colleague, and uh, yeah, that was like the beginning of things to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really remember what the, I remember the conversation, a few things stood out that she found me very strange. <laughs> and said I it to my face. you strange. Yeah, said it to my face also. <laughs> <laughs> she said, yeah. she said, Anthony, you're so strange. Yes, yes. I think it's, uh, I only left China for the first time. I think that was the first week. I have had imagination of what America is and what Americans are like, you know? from my limited experience from you know, very limited internet and film, old film. So you, it's I mean, very obscured um, and the expectation meets the reality of all sorts of, you know, people. And, just your typical American. Right <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, just your average American, you know, who's an excellent composer and jazz pianist, like like we all are. Um, uh, I mean, Lou, yeah, what, what, did you, what did you think was strange about Anthony? Um, I couldn't figure out if he was Chinese or American, you see? Uh-huh. Yes. In terms of language and culture, he's probably American, but how American, I have no idea. I was only one week old as living in, in America. <laughs> <laughs> but if you say he's not Chinese, something, you know, he likes the same food. And also what connects us is a repertoire. We're both trained as pianists and we love um, a lot of music uh, mm-hmm. that could connect us, actually. But still, it's very hard to locate what he is. You know, to, it's different from composers I've been familiar with. You know, all my life, I went to the Beijing Central Conservatory and the prep school in my hometown. Um, very different cultural. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Anthony. I mean, what, what's your response to that? Actually, like, how do you you locate yourself? I don't know if I've ever asked you this, actually. Yeah, it's um, it's a really deep question. Because <laughs> um, you're, you're you're born in San Francisco, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and um, I think like a lot of um, Asians in diaspora, you know, we have both similar stories and um, and very unique ones. Uh, I mean, my parents were part of a generation that um, part of a 
you know, brain drain um, generation coming from mm. Taiwan, mm. Um, where my mom grew up and, and my father met her there in college, although he grew up in, Taiwan, in, in Hong Kong. Mm. And um, so they arrived in San Francisco just a few years before I was born. Uh, my mom took up a job at UCSF um, doing medical research in, in, and uh, spent most of her career there. And uh, yeah, I guess this is something that I, I was just talking about in another, um, in another video interview for uh, Asian Pacific Heritage Month um, for WQXR because they asked me to do a video for that. It's not something that I really grew up consciously thinking about that much um, until much later. I mean, after I, I'd left home and um, after I was in college, I was uh, joint majoring in music and history with a focus on, on uh, East Asia. Mm. And um, I was getting a lot into um, Chinese music and especially Chinese music. I remember I took a, a course with uh, Su Zeng, at, who, was a, who is a professor of uh, ethnomusicology at Wesleyan and um, talking about all the developments in Chinese music over the last century. Um, and, and at that point, just kind of realizing, you know, like where would I fit in this whole paradigm, you know, because it's, it's a complicated um, thing to talk about culture. You know, it's, you can't say, you know, it, there's so, there are so many like hybridities and, um, and fusions and um, this idea of a kind of one monolithic thing that links us all back to a single source um, is, is very, I don't know, problematic to talk about. Sure. Um, yet at the same time, I, I felt, I always felt like a, um, a distance from traditional Chinese music. I didn't grow up with it in the household. It was complete, oh, okay. complete opposite with, with Wang Lu. Mm. Um, all my training was in, was in Western music. All of, uh, you know, I played in youth orchestra. We played orchestral music. Um, all of my exposure to contemporary music was coming primarily from Europe and America. Mm. Um, but I was very much in a household, you know, that was... Uh, you know, we celebrated um, uh, Chinese Lunar New Year. We celebrated the Chinese holidays. We spoke Mandarin at home. Oh, okay. so th there, there were just a lot of uh, a lot of things that I, I needed to figure out for myself. And I remember the first time I wrote for Chinese instruments uh, was in college. I wanted to do this chamber opera adaptation of um, the true story of Aqiu, which is this very famous short story by Wu uh, Xun, early twentieth century. And um, and I really had to learn what these instruments were and what sounds they could make and their techniques, you know, from the ground up. Mm. Uh, and that was kind of like a startling revelation for me because I had never really thought about them and dealt with them. And it would be a number of years before I wrote for them again. So my my relationship with yeah traditional Chinese music and arts has has always been very much from the outside looking in. Um, it wasn't until I really I met Wang Lu in 2005, and uh, she introduced me to uh, Zhou Wenzong, um, who, who was a really important mentor figure for both of us, mm. that I really began to start thinking more deeply about Chinese culture and musical culture um, over this kind of like long durée of, you know, really 
reaching back to its its roots and origins with the uh, Wuqing and mm. and uh, everything else. Wild. Well, thank you. That's a, I, that's a bunch of stuff that I did not know. Um, and what, do, do you mind if I ask, do, what, what language do you guys speak at home with, with Mirabelle? Did, did uh, we try to, yeah, we try to speak only Mandarin, but now she's approaching two, we realize since she's not going to daycare in the foreseeable future, Anthony uh -huh. has to be the English speaking parent. So when oh, okay. she goes to daycare, she has some English, yes. Mm -hmm. so, so, so you speak Mandarin with her, Lou, and Anthony speaks English to her. Right. Uh, at the moment, we're both speaking Mandarin to her, but Ed, okay. we're trying to figure out the the right moment. I'm I'm gradually introducing English words. Uh -huh. I'm trying to find the right moment where she can she can recognize both languages. Sure. And that's hard because I feel like every time I speak English with her, it's like an imposition, and she doesn't react the same way. You know, she doesn't. It's just it's a very um, abstract thing for her right now. Um, it was it was the same for me. I spoke Mandarin at, at home with my parents until. They put me in uh, preschool, and I have no no memory of this, of course. But I think it was very difficult. It's probably something that, uh, in a way, traumatizes me to this day. You know, of, you know this um, being in a, being in this completely foreign place all of a sudden and not knowing what anyone is saying. And uh, so we're trying to, we're, you know, it's very hard in this country unless you're completely in a bilingual educational situation, sure. which which is hard even in a city like Chicago or certainly in Providence as well. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in Chicago, if you speak Spanish, probably that might yes. be the easiest path forward, but yeah, with something like, like Mandarin, right. There's not, our infrastructure is not set up for that, for like a truly bilingual kind of like educational system. Um, wild. Yeah. Um, I, I, I always understood, obviously we know that sort of children, um, tend to learn languages very fast and and you know um, but but I actually never really thought about the challenges of raising a bilingual child in terms of like the order of operations and when you do what and um, that sort of thing um, so uh, maybe Lou uh, since we talked about Anthony's background would you talk about yours a little bit you I, I know um, and, and just let me um, let, let, let me for a moment acknowledge my total like boring white guyness here and say that I know absolutely no Mandarin and so I'm going to mispronounce everything and I'm just going to own that and when you correct me then I will say thank you for correcting me um, but but Lou perhaps yeah t talk a little bit about your background especially like the central conservatory I mean I think the central conservatory I think is a is a, is a phrase that people in the United States know um, but I think they probably don't know much about like the actual education system they may not even know like all the great composers that it's produced so Right. Yeah, say that, whatever you want about your background and about your educational experience, if you like. Right, Central Conservatory. Um, I watched the other podcast you did with George Lewis in passing. He's talking about how people don't know Central Conservatory would believe somebody like Johannes Kretler, Kretler would pay 10 bucks for somebody from the Central Conservatory to compose the piece. Yeah. If, if you know the school, it's, uh, you know, it's one of the best conservatories in the country. And... Uh, I was there from 2000 to 2005 in the composition class of uh, 10, just over 10 students. Most of us are, are women. Mm. Um, I would say the training I've received um, is very disciplined okay. and thorough by subjects. Um, the conservatories 
in the country established in the early 20th century modeled after mostly Russian pedagogy and some right. French pedagogy. Yeah. Um, so that, that's really what I was wondering is I wondering if, if yeah. the sort of political system actually, right. because Russian, you know, I mean, I studied in St. Petersburg for a bit and like the education system there is very yeah. sort of very intense, very time intensive mm -hmm. um, and very yeah disciplined, as you said. So I was wondering right. if it was a Soviet sort of influence. Yeah, it is. So they believe in a training as an undergrad, at least uh, they, they train you in doing things like you have to gain and uh, able ability to have skills. Uh, specific skills like writing harmony and counterpoint and orchestrate from piano score and to a chamber orchestra to large orchestra etc and to analyze form from small form to large complex late romantic pieces and then they go on to 20th century it's very systematic training mm -hmm. and each division of the music theory i mentioned takes its real pride in doing it in drilling the students to ultra, you know, last breath almost <laughs> <laughs> by the end of the last final exam of each subject. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very grateful for that experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you you studied piano. Yeah. So so what did you take? You were you were in a composition class. Oh, and it was mostly women. You said. Yes. So composition, you take uh, weekly lessons, and then for other subjects, you take one and a half years to two years and they, they overlap it's a five-year undergraduate program mm. and most of us and all of us actually um, have already gone through uh, conservatory prep school mm. which are, have already trained you in all those subjects maybe sure. not as advanced um, then you continue so i mentioned this before uh, the biggest challenge being at the conservatory is to how to make connection on your own amongst mm -hmm. the subjects. What can you do with what you learn from mm -hmm. each class? Um, back then, I felt like I could do nothing because counterpoint is a counterpoint, 16th century, 18th century, and that's it, right? Or you go on Shostakovich and Hindemith, and then still that's very specific. And then you go to a harmony class, and that's, you know, from classical to romantic, and it goes on. And there's no overlap mm -hmm. in terms of uh, imagination and uh, projects that you can use them like precisely right when you learn something then you want to use it right away and then when you go to an orchestration class you learn different things and then you go uh, explore your own music the contemporary music world it just goes against almost against everything you've just learned right oh sure um, and then there's the disconnect has always been there and you have to uh, almost split yourself into different uh, parts, you know, mm. use different parts of the brain and focus to do each task. But in the end, the big question is who you are and what you want to do um, is left there. And so, you, I mean, you, we should say that you have to fill in that gap. Right. And I mean, so how is that, how do you think that that's influenced, how, how does that show up in your compositional style? Um, do you think it does? I mean, I, I, I guess I would speculate that it does because I think your music is like, I mean, both of your musics actually are extremely, uh, I don't know what's the word for it, just kind of individual. I don't want to say individualistic because that sounds like you're trying to assert yourself or something like that, but your your musics are very unique um, kind of to, 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 again, invoke George Lewis, to, are, are kind of very unique creolizations, let's say, of your kind of different backgrounds and influences. Um, so, but, but I consider, I, I don't think, 
Lou, I don't think you sound like anyone. Um, That's very kind of you. But, it wasn't, um, wasn't necessarily meant as a compliment. It just was just a just. I a think it's a compliment. Yeah. Well, good. Um, you know. But uh, you only hear pieces. Almost only hear pieces I composed after I came to America. Mm -hmm. When I was an undergrad, I also had to keep composing. The more exercise, you now I kind of disown most of them. Um, but that's looking back. I think that's a very important part of how you grow. How I grow, you go through stylistic imitations, and you go through a lot of beginnings mm -hmm. and being told they're not worthy. In this country, you can never say that to your students. Because everything they write has something. If you don't feel that way, it's because you, as a teacher, do not see the brilliance or the meaning or the potential of it. In mm -hmm. Amer uh, in in my school, um, you would hear, "No, this is just not great. Maybe you should not waste your time on this. Come up with different ideas." Mm -hmm. I, I I kind of appreciate that process. You know, it's a lot of uh, revising and beginning and beginning and beginning and. Uh, Yes, and imitations. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so like very different sorts of backgrounds that you both have, yet somehow they're somehow some somehow things have worked out. Um, it seems. <laughs> um, and sorry, and Lou, I did want to ask also about um where you're from because I know I know some of the sort of like images and influences from your childhood show up in your music, right? So, do you want to say anything about about your hometown? Mm. So. I picked this uh, virtual background. It's a city wall from my hometown, Xi'an. The mm -hmm. city wall is from Ming Dynasty, the 13th century. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up five minutes walk away from one of the gates. And uh, it's an ancient capital full of lives uh, with uh, settlements from Middle East and, and Europe uh, since the Silk Road. So it's the beginning, you can call it the end of the Silk Road. So it's a lot of uh, mixed uh, ethnicities and culture. And people are very outgoing the way they speak loudly with the dialect, which is very dramatic compared to Mandarin. And they like to perform and sing and enjoy their lives outdoor when it's, you know, when the weather is good. Mm. Um, so that's part of uh, my upbringing. Uh, it's not only the memory from childhood, they still you know, are the lives of people when I go back to people I know. Um, so I would hang out and be part of it. Mm -hmm. Anthony, have you been to her hometown? Yeah, a number of times now, uh, starting in, I guess the first time I went was about 12 years ago. And okay. we would usually go back once a year. Um, we haven't gone back actually in three years, uh, which is a long time. It was supposed to go back last year and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we had the kid and everything. But yeah, uh, it's it was such an eye-opening experience for me. I know that for her growing up in a, in a city where uh, especially music making was so omnipresent and, um, and especially outdoor music making and communal music making was so important, Mm -hmm. That really struck me because we, you know, apart from a few places in America like New Orleans, um, and and actually when we went to New Orleans uh, two years ago, um, she felt an instant connection, you know, to her oh, home wild. because of that, because of that, you know, communal music making experience. But for me, I had never really seen anything like that, and um, to be able to see ancient Chinese opera. Uh, being performed by amateurs, but very serious amateurs, you know, on the city wall, 
um, daily, you know, daily when you went out for your walks, walking through the park and seeing like people doing their uh, calisthenic exercises mm -hmm. uh, as well after after dinner. After dinner, everyone streams out into the park and gets their exercise, which is something that I wish we had here in the States. Um, it would make everyone so much happier and healthier. Um, yeah. But that, that kind of experience was, was just so, uh, so foreign and welcome to me. Uh, and that kind of like uh, raucous, raucousness of, of um, sound from so many different sources where you just kind of let it all in because, you know, if you kind of, you can focus on different parts of it and, um, but the, the kind of conglomerate experience of experience everything, experiencing everything at once um, is such a, a unique aspect of, of being there. And for me, having never heard anything like that, that was so ear opening. Wild, yeah. Um, this is fascinating. I mean, I think <laughs> I, you know, I thought we were going to listen to music, but maybe we'll just talk about the everyone's background for a while. But there are not, also I mean, conductors in the park, by the way. I never there are conductors? Like amateur conductors. Everyone's an amateur. But I love this, and I'm, I'm sure Anthony agree, is that the cultural difference here is very subtle. Like in the park in my hometown, you can be an amateur conductor who does the weirdest thing, who can't even follow the beat, who be dancing and moving and wiggle your ass all and everything else. But, you know, everyone's having a good time. And singers, a lot of them out of tune. And the dancers, I'm not sure if, you know, they're the most pleasant to watch, but, you know, <laughs> they're having a great time. And this is part of their life. Once they occupy this space for the moment, that's uh -huh. when they set free their, you know, their humanity. Mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful. And I was telling Anthony, after we met and then we would, you know, we hang out in New York, I said, oh, those guys, they'll be jogging. It seems like only men, white men with good physical presence are kind of, are jogging and, and topless sometimes, you know. Mm -hmm. But in China, you feel okay. Even you don't have any packs on your belly, you can roll up your t-shirt and have a beer on the sidewalk. You uh -huh. see? Nobody's judging you. Uh -huh. You're just trying to relax and be yourself and just cool down. There's a kind of self-consciousness that's yes. there uh, here, um, you know, whenever you're in public and whenever, and, and, and yeah, it seems like in China, at least people just kind of like let it all out, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you're, if you're belting a tune out of tune, that's okay. And you have yeah. um, your, your t-shirt half up and, and, you know, it's all, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Hmm. I have, I, I'm not sure if I want to share a theory about that or not, but, um, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, in any case, um, point, point taken. Yeah. We, we, um, we can be pretty uptight in this country sometimes. <laughs> um, so why don't we, um, Lou, may, maybe we could listen to a little bit of either siren song or urban inventory. Would urban inventory actually be a good piece to listen to in this context? Um, sure. The, the, I mean, and so, so so, so urban inventory, it's a piece for six instruments and um, sort of fixed five, media. Uh, five. five. Five? Five. Yeah. I just conducted in February, so you'd think that I could, you know, but I'm, I'm a conductor. No, so you're, I really only, you're a conductor, six, yes. Yeah, I really only count to four, you know, so um, if it's above, four, if it's something above four, I really don't know what those numbers are. But, um, 
in Del Niente, our joke is always like we say, you know, nine instruments plus, you know, we, we whenever we um, you know, we're, we're we're making an offer to someone about a residency or something, we always say we can bring nine musicians plus conductor, um, <laughs> as if the conductor is not the musician. It's 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 the basic it's the singer joke of the new music I had world. To I guess myself that with that because um, I. I wrote a piece that this viola concerto and uh, called Assumed Rules, and I said, I think in the um, on the title page, I said viola plus nine musicians, <laughs> nine musicians, just feeding into the viola joke. Yeah, the viola joke, right? <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah. That, that's yeah, right. If you're doing a viola concerto, you got to watch it. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Um, so yeah, may, maybe uh, which movement of urban, just the opening of urban inventory, maybe would be a good movement to listen to. Um, and do you want to say anything about the, um, the, 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 the recorded sounds? Sure. Um, so the opening of Urban Inventory is titled City Power. Mm -hmm. And it's literally inside the wall from the virtual background. Oh, wow. In the evening, I took walks and then I recorded some of the walls and edited the soundscape out of it. And then, um, I try to analyze the sound where the, the pitches actually appear, like, you know, as a composer. And then those are from the dancers, you know, the different uh, exercise groups and the radio walkers, like walk walkers, strollers with their radio broadcasting. Mm. So you have the sound station moving uh, in and out of uh, the speakers when you're listening to the piece. Mm. Uh, and then I composed instrumental part kind of meticulously to fit in this already preset frame mm. of the tape. Okay, so yeah, you, you yeah you, you did a lot of work with the sound sources first. Right. Then you, you maybe did you have a preconceived notion of what you wanted the instrument to do, or you, you you really sort of like tried to map it onto what you had recorded? So the instruments would have a role of fading in. But not intruding, right? Not putting on top of it, mm -hmm. but also listening. Mm. These instrumentalists are outside of the tape, especially mm -hmm. when you see it live, mm -hmm. right? It's a different experience. Mm -hmm. Instrumentalists are like walkers, they walk through it, they perform along with it, but they have to be carefully listening. Cool. Well, let's just listen to a little bit of the opening.
cool. Okay, we can, we can stop there for a moment. Um, and this is from your this is from your album. Um, the album is called Urban Inventory. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. From maybe a couple of years ago. And that's yeah. Patrick Patrick Castillo, um, his group. Uh, what's the group called? I actually can't the, remember. The Third Sound Ensemble. Third sound, right. Third yeah, sound I got to know them in Cuba, actually. Mm. Uh, went to Cuba together. Havana, right. there's a new music festival. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I've, 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 heard, I've heard him speak about it. Um, I should try to get the guy, the guy who runs that festival to do one of these podcasts. That would be a cool thing. Um, yes. Lou, Lou, before you talk about that piece, actually, I want to hear Anthony talk about what, what, what do you think of... Um, what do you think of this piece or what did you, what do you think of what you just heard? Um, what do you think of Lou's music in general? <laughs> I'm really put um, you on the spot, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating because, um, well, I, I, what I really love about that movement in particular is that it does evoke the sensation of one continuous walk. Mm. So, you know, it's coming from, from multiple edits and, uh, but you know, the, the way that she stitches it together, into this uh, single experience, you know, has mm. the, the way it flows. It doesn't feel um, abrupt. I mean, all of the changes are coming very naturally. The, the fade-ins and fade-outs of different sources. And so that when you get, you know, for instance, the sound of somebody's radio going by mm -hmm. all of a sudden, um, and it's kind of like a street vendor hawking something and a, and a bicycle going by, it feels like this kind of like the, the stream of life just going by. Um, and I really, and I really appreciate that. It's it's um, it it opens up the senses in in so many ways. I mean, and especially having been there, it just kind of reignites memories of sights and sounds and and smells and and everything else. So it it is this kind of multi sensory experience. Um, and and yet at the same time, you know, uh, the way that she's able to combine those pre recorded sounds um, and the kind of like found objects also the found musical objects right, right. Uh, with the live instruments is really compelling because, you know, instead of just kind of making um, um, a kind of simulacrum dialogue of, of those recorded sounds with the live instruments at, at that moment, she kind of recontextualizes it and turns it into something completely different, often using extended techniques or, you know, extended harmonic language that has, at first glance, very little to do with with those original sound sources, and yet she's able to fuse them into something um, that feels very natural. Wow, Lou, it sounds like you have a big fan here. That's um, very nice. I've it, never heard in lunch such nice compliments on my husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean but I think nice. I mean I actually like I, my my experience was, was very similar to Anthony's, which is to say that I, I think you use the word flowing at a certain point, Anthony, and like. I think flowing is like, is such a sort of ordinary used word in the context of music, you know, this music sounds flowing or whatever, but this, but this seems flowing in a sort of specific kind of sense. It does feel like everything is very fluid and like you're sort of, you know, you know, yeah, and it does have the feeling of you're walking or something like that, and suddenly a violin comes into view, and you hear a violin, and then the violin fades from view, and then a radio, and a you know, and it does have this kind of like seamless, maybe is another word that I would use, but um, I don't know, Lou, tell us, tell us why we're wrong. Oh no, and thank you. That's very, very, very nice of you. Um, so I still think whatever material we use, I'm a composer, mm -hmm. so I'm trying to find a reason to stitch them together, right? Mm -hmm. There needs to be a thread, but it's not a thread. 
hopefully that you can see. Mm. Um, so I still think the importance of harmony. Although on the surface, there's so much going on, right? And random events and you're moving, the station is moving. And I think what I really got um, as a thread in this movement is the harmony that has a much slower pace mm. to let everything flow. If you use the word flow. Mm. So um, speaking of harmony, I think before I came to study at Columbia, when I was in China, I separate harmony from my own composition. I think about gesture, I think about drama, sound. And then after I came, I, I, of course, your world is opened up to different things and pulling jazz and everything else. And I was, you know, I had hanging out with Anthony and often he's talking about harmony and his music is very rich and such right. curiously and sensitively listened. Um, so I realized, oh, actually, when you are not writing a chord, you are writing a chord in a sense. You know, even you're writing about rubbing three pieces of papers, there is a harmony too. It just choose to ignore it or treat it with care. Um, so that's really behind the surface of music concrete, the chance, or, you know, the editing or everything else, the nostalgia and the culture. Fundamentally, what makes it flow is a harmonic progression there. Wow, yeah, I definitely would not have, that's, <laughs> that's such, <laughs> um, that's such not the way I'm used to thinking about, you know, music concrete. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah, sort of the idea that that right harmony is underlying everything, even though sort of in a sense the idea of like music concrete is that like the harmony there's not sort of. I, in fact, I suppose I would say that the word harmony to me seems to imply a kind of um, an imposed organization from the outside, mm -hmm. you know. But I think you're sort of suggesting a different way of thinking about harmony, which um, I haven't thought about. Um, do you mean that, like, for instance, that there is harmony in everything already, even in those external sources, so that we have to take care to to reveal what's under the surface? Yeah, there are pitch materials as harmony. There are noise material. There are noise with different densities, right? And then you map them when the absence of the traditional harmony is also a kind of part of the harmony I'm composing. So you really have to, as I said, map it out and listen. And you have to treat them. You cannot just let them happen randomly. Like you look up to the sky, a bird just flies by. And you just let that happen in your film. I think that's irresponsible. Right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, Lou is like the anti-cage or something like that. Um, interesting. Um, yeah, maybe... Um, uh, Cool. Should we, maybe we should listen to a different movement from that, um, if you like. Do you have a different, do you have one in particular that you'd like to listen to, or? Uh, maybe the last one? The last one, yeah, very beautiful, yeah, great. Um, let's see if I can start. Do you want to get into it at all, or? Um... Shall we talk about it, or shall we listen first? Let's listen first, and then you yeah. can, then, then you can tell us. Um, Okay, here we go.
obviously like I love that ending um, and you can tell us what it is, but it's just, you know, to, to me, I mean, uh, this, to me, this music is just, um, I don't have anything fancy to say about it in the way that maybe I would have something fancier to say about the first movement, but this movement just is very beautiful to me and the way it ends, it, like with this major triad that kind of goes out of tune at the very end. And then what's, what's the sound that happens at the very end? Uh, the sound is a uh, house being destroyed and the trash dump truck making the noise. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so familiar to mm. me. I used to bike to school my entire life. I biked through construction sites all along the way to my mm -hmm. middle school and uh, all those noise construction, you know, the building of the country and the city in the 90s mm. uh, in China is really part of the noise I grew up with. Yeah. Okay. And so the source of the, the piece from a pop, pop singer, Yang Ying from the 90s. Mm. I listened to a lot. And uh, when you think about it now, when I was thinking about it, composing a piece, it's, uh, it's my teenage life. Mm. There's this beauty and there's this sadness. When you're a teenager, there's nothing to be sad. But you're very sad. You're often sad. Um, it's interesting. Um, I was the favorite student. I was doing excellent at school. I played the piano. You know, I was liked and by the teachers and boys. And but I, I also had a sense of the sadness. I mm. think the piece captured that the innocence and the sadness. Um, that, yeah. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Sadness for me. Sadness as a teenager was Shostakovich, but um, you know, takes different forms. Anthony, we're, we're, I mean, I, I imagine that you were um, I I, I want to guess that you were a very well behaved teenager, but I want you to tell me that I'm wrong and that you were secretly very rebellious. Um, probably more on the just musically rebellious side. Sure, that there was, you go. That was my outlet. You know, uh -huh. I wasn't uh, um, you know, going around, you know. TPing um, houses on on Halloween and that kind of thing, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think you were just TPing the harmonic series or something like that, um, you know, right? TPing harp tuning, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, but I, I, yeah, it's a very precarious time, you know, when you're you know, adolescence, and um, I think for all of us, uh, music is that that outlet. It gives you access to feelings that you didn't know were inside of you or perhaps um they confirm those ex those exact feelings you know that you're looking for something that will speak to you and you find it in Shostakovich for instance that that was sure. I remember hearing a lot of his work eight string quartet of course you know mm -hmm. stuff like that um that really spoke to me it's just like and and yeah you're just trying to make sense of all of these new feelings and especially feelings of sadness and loneliness and yeah. that's where that's where music comes in that's where a lot of my exposure to new music came in precisely mm. through needing to to discover something like that mm. sadness and yeah uh, i think that there's two strands in in Lou's piece that that i don't know that seem to find some sort of like i don't know analog or consonance in um in your piece anthony called the natural word um, which is a piece that I, so I, I think um, uh, it, this is actually a piece, I guess I conducted it almost a year ago today, right? This, that was June 1st, 2019. And now we're at the end of May. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. And, 
That's right, exactly. We were in rehearsals for it. Yeah. Exactly. I remember getting into to LA, I think exactly a year ago because it was Lou's birthday that that evening and, and it's her birthday today. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. You're a Gemini? Yes. No wonder I like you so much. <laughs> I just have so many Gem Geminis in my life. I'm not kidding. Uh -huh. Like, in fact, the, the, the date June 6th, which is in a, you know, in a week or so, is this like particularly weird day in my life. Um, it's the day that my conducting teacher died. It's like, you know, my best friend's birthday. It's like mm -hmm. the birthday of my former partner. It's the day that Lee Hyla died. Very strange. Oh, just a, it's a wow. weird day. So, so, so wow. me and Gemini's, Gemini. that's, today's your, today's your birthday. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah. So the, the, the um, yeah, Anthony's piece, The Natural Word. So I, I think speaking of sadness and speaking of like also kind of like found, found objects or something like that, your, your piece, The Natural Word is this, it's, I think it actually does probably require some contextualization before we, we play any of it. The, the sadness part to me is at the end. And, I, you know, when I get to the end of The Natural Word, I, I you know, every time we've, we've rehearsed it and performed it, it's like, uh, yeah, I do feel just some sort of like, after a bunch of activity, I feel like sort of like, sinking into sadness or something like that. And I'm not sure if that's the intended effect or not, but um, nevertheless, that's the, that's the affect that I experience. Mm. But I think, um, and, I mean, as with Lou's, Lou's piece, you know, she took all these sounds and sort of stitched them together. Um, yours has this video sort of component um, that uses captions. And I know obviously Tr Tristan Cook, is that your, is that the, your, your, your collaborator? Yeah, so um, Tristan Cook came, came into the project a little bit later. Um, he's the video artist for, for the piece, uh, but actually the initial point of contact before I had even started writing the piece or thinking about making a piece like this was um, through Sean Zdenek. Uh, he is the author of a book called Reading Sounds, and he's probably the, <clears throat> the leading expert on captioning mm. from, both a, <clears throat> excuse me, from both a media uh, point of view and a uh, rhetoric, media rhetoric, and uh, disability studies. Um, mm. those, those three things intersect, obviously, with, uh, with captioning, which, uh, especially the, the, the last of, of the three, uh, disability, um, as being the raison d'etre of, uh, of captioning. And so I read, um, I read this book shortly after it came out, because I was trying to find a way to, to think about captioning. I've been really fascinated with um, just encountering encountering it very serendipitously, uh, primarily you know while watching streaming TV and um, yeah. Well, and, we uh, first start dating because my English was really not that great. I would say poor, and Anthony was helping me by turning on the capturing of everything. But still, oh, wow. I, I would not get the joke. See, for, instance, <laughs> for example, you would pause and explain to me the reference to another film, for example, uh -huh. and then yeah. I think I take credit for the interesting caption. There you go. Yeah, it's all, yeah. Basically, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, basically but, she wrote the piece is what we're saying. <laughs> well, she, de I mean, definitely led me down this path. And, you know, since then, by default, we've just left the captions on for everything. Um, but increasingly, uh, the default settings for captions, I don't, I don't know if you noticed this also in Netflix, is that is to have um, descriptions of sounds, uh, as, of, of sounds and non-dialogue sounds as well. Um, so that was my primary interest in, in this piece is, you know, what happens when a caption is referring to a sound, whether it's trying to, uh, 
trying to capture something that's you know on on scene you know that's that's within the frame of uh of the film like a diegetic sound or a non-diegetic sound something that's in the distance that you can't see you know thunder rumbling um and there are certain captions that are just uh you you wonder like who makes those decisions and and who prioritizes and why do people prioritize certain uh, certain descriptions like thunder. Thunder is like every time there's thunder, it has to show up in a in a caption. In a caption but other yeah. other things don't, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it sets a mood. It sets an affect. Um, it obviously um, allows people to to hear something that is important in the scene. But um, but there is a kind of uh, prioritization and art to captioning. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to make a piece that um, really took words, captioning words and descriptions as the starting point um, and, and have music react to these words. So in that case, uh, it, it's very different than, uh, the order of things is very different than, than usual, right? Usually, usually you start with the image and then, you know, um, if, if there's a musical component, the music is added to enhance that image. And then at the very end, the captioner comes in and tries to distill whatever that is, you know, both in the sure. music and, and in the in the scene. Captioners also talk about uh, talk about musical sources. You know, they'll say like um, the sound of romantic uh, music in the background or right. you know, yearning music, whatever that means. You know, yeah. so I was interested in in the, these multiple uh, meanings of of these words and and the fact that you know, for uh, somebody who is um, who cannot hear, who or is, is disabled and deaf, um, you know there is not there is no like one uh, way of accessing what a word like you know um, uh, rumbling means or what a word like um, yearning romantic music means. You know, yeah. so I was interested in um, these kind of multiple perspectives, kind of perspectival way of of hearing things and purposely sometimes subverting the expectations for for the listener not i'm not trying to you know to tra transcribe sounds from the real world although that sometimes happens in the piece but i'm trying to give you know alternate perspectives and takes mm -hmm. um to, to, to things that you know might otherwise be familiar for people who who do hear them in in the real world yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. I, I'm I'm really interested. I, I'm I'm taken by this, this idea of like that you jumbled up or reversed the process. That you know, mm -hmm. if the if the sort of normal order of operations is something like, you know, make a movie, get a composer to write some music that sort of supports you know the 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 image, then at the end of the process, the captioner does this does their work. But it's like as if you're like you're starting here. Right, and you're sort of working backwards, and I'm not, not sure which order the music and the and the and the images happened in, but like sort of starting with the note, starting with this endpoint, and 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 having that generate the other stuff. Um, that's a yeah. Oftentimes, the captioning in the traditional process is the afterthought. It's like the mm -hmm. thing that okay, well, we have to make this caption. Let's try to distill the sound down to its essence, mm -hmm. uh, and that's it's helpful, but it's problematic, right? Sure, uh, and. Yeah, in this in this sense, I was trying to yeah. The word comes first, and then the music is like some reaction to it, mm -hmm. and then the video is actually 
almost an afterthought in this piece because mm. uh, I, I had you know the the sketch of the piece and and every, how, how it completely unfolds uh, was all there um, before I handed anything over to uh, the video artist Kristen Cook basically I gave him um, a breakdown of every scene uh, also descriptions of the orchestration from a non-technical point of view, just like what it's trying to evoke. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, some of the sources from the captions I had chosen, some of them, um, Sean Zdenek, we had worked together because he has a corpus through his research of sure, yeah. films and TV, you know, where he can type into his database, you know, a certain word and it'll show up in 20 results. Um, so we were looking at some of those, and then some I just kind of left open-ended, and we ended up using a lot of stock uh, uh, footage as well um, mm. to kind of get at you know. And, and I left those those decisions uh, up to up to Sean. Mm. So there, I could imagine a, a different version of a piece where, um, with you know, a completely different uh, film aspect. Wild. Let's let's check some of it out. Just so I mean, and if you're um... If people are watching this, you'll actually see the video. But if you're if you're only listening, then I actually would encourage you also to watch the video because um, there, there what what this piece is is it is a video um, with a series of captions and with audio that is the the, the actual composition that Anthony has written. Um, so let's maybe take and, and this is from I get this is apparently this is the um, a bit of our premiere of the tune, which was back in. Um, on June 1st, 2019. This is me conducting Ensemble Del Niente in LA. Um, and maybe we'll just do some of the beginning and then some of towards, then something at the end, then something sort of midway through. But I, I also invite you, Anthony, to let me know what you want to see. So yeah, maybe um, like the first minute and a half, and then we could jump to uh, 10 minutes and 10 seconds, which is the beginning of the second part. Great, great. Maybe go for like two or three minutes. Great. Well, there's a bit, there's a bit before that that I want to catch as well. So we'll okay, see. Sure, um, sure. And then Lou, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked Anthony. I want you to tell. I want you to explain this to us after we watch it, um, and also tell him what he's doing wrong. So um, here is the beginning of the natural word, um, which I called, the, which I you know, <laughs> kept calling the natural world for much longer than um, than I, I, I am comfortable admitting. Um, that somehow just superimpose that L there, but it is not there. Um, it is the natural word. Here we go.
okay, let's stop there before I just play the whole piece. Um, okay, so before I an ask Anthony anything, Lou, um, what, 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 do you, what do you think about this? I think it's fantastic. I mean it. I haven't heard it for a long time, maybe for <laughs> a year. Uh -huh. We don't really sit at home listen to each other's music. But, um, so yeah, I think it's fantastic. And especially where you pause. Uh -huh. um, Did I pause in the wrong place? I should have gone on. Pause at the right place, yeah. Uh -huh. um, especially where you pause when you have the raindrops. Uh -huh. The music suddenly changed. Yeah. Um, I always really admire what Anthony is able to do is transforming things very unseemly, constantly. Like the most difficult things for a lot of composers, most composers to do is to write transitions. He's always transforming and you don't really mm. know. It's like metamorphosis going on the whole time. But with this video, he has to stop this transformation mm. right there a minute something into it. I find it great because, yeah. you know, sometimes you're so good at what you're doing and you're forced to step out of what you're best at and mm. it comes out as even better. Right. It does. It is. I, I agree with you. I mean, that, that I would... I think that's a great analysis. And I would also say that Anthony is a composer who is great at transitions, which, you know, might seem like a really yeah. um, kind of a lame compliment, but I think given that like how hard that is to do, that's really like, yeah. that means you got like mad skills, you know? Right. Um, and it's very natural. I don't think he's even aware that it's transformed. Like the mm -hmm. seagull to the bird ran the horn. It's like yeah. all interwoven, right? And harmony works and the timbre and it's not as abrupt. It's not abrupt at all. As a scene is changing, but music continuously evolves mm -hmm. in a really curious way. But then the raindrops come. I used to joke. I said, "I really think he's such a talented, almost like I felt like he's a genius." Not like I felt like he's a genius. He is a genius, anyway. And then, what kind of person do? When you're already so genius, when you're a teenager, <laughs> you wrote a sym I heard his first symphony and all the orchestra work. I was like totally blown away. I was like, it's amazing. You hear, you have the facility, you have the imagination. What else can you do? I think this piece really opens up huge possibility to work outside of just concert acoustic instruments. Yeah, but I mean, I think I also think, but that I mean, a similar, you know, you know, Anthony, Anthony's pretty smart, but you're you're pretty smart too. And I think, I mean, I think you, but you have a very similar kind of way of approaching composition, or like at least it seems to me as an outsider that the arc of your compositions is also, it also seems to me that you're always trying new stuff, or like, you, you know, you you've gotten good at a thing, and then like I don't know, you have some experience that like causes you to think slightly differently about something, and so you write a totally different piece the next time. So I think you I mean you're both like that in a certain way, like Lou, that piece that you wrote for for um, for Ben and Katie, um, you know the the, um, the you know it's it's a piece for clarinet and and uh, harp, and it's like you know I associate your music as being this crazy you know like often like you know very manic even though we haven't listened to like anything manic of yours yet but like this Christian Wolf piece you saw a lecture by Christian Wolf, and wrote this like very quiet meditative clarinet and harp piece. Um, so I don't, I mean, I think, you know, you, you must influence, influence each other in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, 
we, we often have discussions about this, just, um, you know, do we, do we fall into our own um, comfort zones and what does it mean to, to uh, break out of them and to challenge ourselves and uh, whether we do that consciously or unconsciously. I don't think I was purposely trying to, to break with, with any practice that I had, you know, in this piece, but um, just the very fact of, of using a different approach to time um, through captions and, and, and to media and to perception mm -hmm. um, forced me into, uh, into thinking in, in, in more kind of block-like manner um, and into kind of rapid uh, jump cuts and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. which I hadn't, hadn't really done in my uh, purely abstract music before. I think I sometimes, you know, fall into a zone where I'm comfortable doing certain things, certain, certain transformations and transitions. Um, it's never really comfortable because it's always hard, you know, but, but um, there are certain things that you prioritize and privilege as a composer just because you like the way they sound or right, right. know how to get from point A to point B and all of a sudden, you know, I mean, I was the one choosing the captions and, and choosing the, um, the progression of events in this piece. And I, I knew that the overall arch, uh, dramatic arch of the piece was that I wanted to go from natural descriptions to mechanical descriptions. Mm, mm. Um, so hence, you know, the, the bird, birds and, and ships and ship horns and all that stuff in the beginning, um, rain, et cetera, thunder. Uh, but then in the second half of the piece, we've, we're gradually moving along towards mechanical sounds. Mm. Uh, and there is this kind of like 20 second break in the middle that separates the two parts that is uh, just silence. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was like my challenge to myself is that, yeah. you know, I, I set up this cause I don't really like to, to have that much pre-compositional planning. Oh, okay. That's, uh, that's new. Okay. That's, I, I just learned a thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I, I usually kind of find my my materials haphazardly and, um, oftentimes through improvisation mm. or through gestural improvisation and, and then kind of a kind of transcription, like physical transcription. And then, and then the materials kind of coalesce, but I don't go in with like a map of how the piece mm. should be. Um, and, and so I'm always looking for connections between, between materials that just happen to be floating around, uh, mm. during the time that I'm writing the piece. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't really have that luxury with this piece. Sure more kind of mapped out but it was still my own decision of like how i wanted it, how i wanted it to progress yeah i think i mean i, I want to ask lou about that the, the map question in, in a second so we'll, but we should come back to it because i want to actually watch the end of the piece um yeah and, and there's uh, we, we can skip the the sort of the, the 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 silence bit in the middle even though i like that but there is um yeah there's this silence kind of you know two-thirds of the way through the piece um and my experience with it is like that's kind of a um, dramatic moment or like a kind of like uh, not sad exactly, but kind of like stressful moment when that silence happens. But I think the audience for both times we've done it, I think the audience laughed. Mm. Is that, um, do you think it's funny or do you, I mean, what, what do you think? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's the, What's happening on uh, in, in the film is very loud, and that's one of the things. Uh, that's one of the moments where I think think 
the film was very important as as a commentary. Um, wrong. It's 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 a, a film of a, of a person who um, is you know turning up the the knobs on his um, uh, on his stereo, uh, but he can't hear anything. He's temporarily lost his hearing, and the caption is indicating that there's no audio. Um, right. And so what you're experiencing is what he's experiencing. Uh, and at, at that moment, it's, it's like an acknowledgement of, of, uh, of deafness because, you know, that this is a, a piece where the person, usually the person who's listening to it is in the privileged position of hearing, mm. um, even though it's my reinvention and my kind of multi-perspective take on um, what these words can mean ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, but then, yeah, this is a moment where we're all put into this same position. Um, so that happens just right before, and then the the last part of the piece starts, which is uh, the kind of mechanical mm -hmm. section. Well, let's do just watch, since, since we're talking about it, let's do watch that little bit of the piece, um, which I think is around here. And should we just go on?
<clears throat> maybe just stop there for a second. Um, yeah, again, I, I, I mean, as with as with the end of Lou's piece, I don't, I don't think I have anything fancy to say about this other than just I really like it. I mean, and and like the more I watch it, the more I like it. Also, you know, what it was actually fun about preparing this was that <laughs> con conducting this piece. Um, I'm sorry to say is actually not fun at all because I have to have this like fucking click click track and um, you know, and so I have to like be like staying with the click and the tempo is changing a lot and that sort of thing. And so I never get as a conductor, I never get the experience of getting to like watch the film and sort of the experience of like the captions and the music and, and sort of like having my expectations played with. So it was actually nice to get to sit down and like, and, and I had, I, obviously I watched the film a lot in, in preparing for it, but I watched it mostly like with, along with the click track mm -hmm. to sort of understand how what I, I, what I was hearing was lining up with the video. And I really never had the experience of like listening to the music with the video until like af afterwards and like sitting down to, to do, to get prepared for this. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> it you. It was actually nice, nice to like rediscover, you know, um, I mean, yeah. it's also like, I mean, in a sense, I kind of like learned it as a piece of music, just like like, like a regular old, you know, Wednesday afternoon piece of music, you know, mm -hmm. like any piece of music that I conduct, even ones with a click track. And so, um, and, and it's amazing. It's also amazing. And, and I think maybe Lou was saying something similar. What's amazing is the piece just as a piece of music just works, you know, you could just play it as a tune in a concert and everyone would have a great time. And then like, there's this whole extra like layer on top that really makes it like, you know, um, you know, it, it just uh, really, it makes the piece like kind of not head scratching, but my mind expanding or something like that. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I think there should be different ways of, of listening to it. And, and also, you know, perhaps it could be performed without giving the audience any indication mm. that it's meant to be seen and heard this way. You know, there could be just like a concert version um, or a, a version with film where you only see the words and mm. no images and mm. that that might you know give something to the audience that is that expands their engagement with the film instead of having like passively receiving images to go along with the sounds mm. um and i apologize for giving you the click track i know that's, oh no it's fine that's never that's never fun I mean, it's, it's, you know it's the, it, the you know it had to be done <laughs> It's just like, you know, um, it's like whatever the, you know, the, the senator from Nevada, you know, says to Michael Corleone and like Godfather part two, um, you know, this is the life we've chosen. Um, <laughs> I often feel like composers and com conductors need to compare themselves to organized criminals to, um, you know, survive. But yeah, it, it, that, it's the gig. So I'm, 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 I'm used to it. Um, it's just, I'll tell you, like a visual click is like, um, you know, it is, is actually more difficult. Lou, do you? Wait, wait, we, we didn't end up using the click for urban in inventory, did we? Um, no. I don't I recall. Think. Yeah, I think we had it and then we didn't end up using it because yeah. it actually works just fine without yeah. it, which is actually like really nice. Um, yeah, you were able to be as steady as a click truck <laughs> without the click truck. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Any, any closing thoughts on the, the natural word from either of you? I just listened to it really, um, same as Michael. I haven't really had a chance to really listen to it. Now I, I really think it, it has so many dimensions what we just heard, and it really depends on how you listen. For right. example, maybe the noise can be the driving force, or the pauses, 
or the image or the harmony or just the contrast, the drama. It, in, in every possible, I always look for the threads, many, many threads you can path, you can take on. It all makes sense. And it's all like very unpredictable, but logical. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I had a similar sense where I was like, as I was rewatching it, I was also like, you know, for, 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 for the, for the, the space, for the, for the weird piece where like the video is actually the afterthought. It, it seems like to tell some sort of like a narrative or something like that. It's a, it's a weird thing where like these random, you know, quasi random yeah. images, right. you know, where the images don't matter so, somehow, yeah. like at the end, like I said I, just earlier, you know, I, I end up feeling kind of sad at the end mm -hmm. and it, it, it does have that feeling of like, even though there aren't characters, there aren't like, mm -hmm. there isn't a narrative. There's just somehow, mm -hmm. it, it, it feels though like there was one at the end. Mm -hmm. feels like a story was told and I can't remember any of the details and, you know, but I had the same kind of emotion mm -hmm. and this, the same kind of affective response to how I would feel at the end of a story with, you know, characters. So mm, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that, I think that even though this is a very different kind of project, uh, of mine, you know, I, I've never really done a piece like this, and I'm not sure I will again. Uh, that interest in in kind of uh, affective response, and um, you know, playing with um, with your perceptions and your 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 preconceptions of uh, of what constitutes that kind of response is, um, I think, at the core of a lot of what I do. I mean, I'm I'm just. Um, both, both, uh, you know, without history and with history in mind, I think, um, because oftentimes I'll, I'll draw on historical tropes or allusions as, as a really important part of, um, making a connection to a certain gesture or a certain chord or, you know, G major chord of Beethoven's fourth piano concerto as mm. the, the lyre of Orpheus, for instance. Mm. Um, and that becomes the basis of, of, a, of a whole orchestra piece. Or um, in the case of another piece that you, that you conducted uh, recently with the Grossman Ensemble, uh, Double Allegories, where this whole, this whole affect of, of um, sadness around the key of D minor, for mm. instance. Um, the saddest of keys, according to, um, to Spinal Tap, right? <laughs> yeah, I've only seen excerpts of that film, but I need to... Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a there's a there's a famous scene that we should we, we should try to like insert a clip of that of that famous scene about D minor being the saddest of keys. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, it it, it literally is. No, I mean that's there. It's a hilarious interview with like one of the band members who like, you know. I mean, I think the joke is they're not very good musicians, and he's like pretending like you you know he's like uh, yeah. I'm very influenced by by Beethoven. D minor, it's the saddest of keys, you know, <laughs> and then the, the, the title of the song, I don't want to say what it is, but it's like kind of a vulgar title, um, you know, that doesn't, you know, like the, the, the Mahler song you're referencing in that, in, in, in Double Allegories is the, the Lonely One in Autumn, right, which is in D minor, this is the second of Mahler's Das Lied, mm -hmm. you know, and the song has this kind of vulgar title in the movie, so we should <laughs> stick it in here. Fooling about with it for a few months now. Very delicate. It's a, it's a bit of a departure from the kind of thing you normally play. Yeah, well, it's part of a uh, a trilogy, really, a musical trilogy that I'm doing in D minor, which I always 
Fine is really the saddest of all keys, really. I don't know why, but it makes people weep instantly to play a... It's a horn part. It's very pretty. You know, just simple lines intertwining. You know, very much like I'm really influenced by Mozart and Bach, and it's sort of in between though. It's really, it's like a Mach piece, really. It's, what do you call it? I mean, speaking of affect, I, I wanted to listen to a little bit of, of, of Lou's Siren song also, which is, I mean, maybe an older piece of yours. Um, but, but I think also, you know, it, it, I mean, Anthony, you're, you're sort of talking about like um, affect that, that is sort of going to the audience and maybe kind of historical, historically considered affect, um, the history of affect, you know, um, references to composers that have like used cer certain kinds of affects. But, but um, I think L L Lou, um, the, the expressiveness in a piece like Siren Song seems to be like, you actually have a source, like a, a particular way of singing or talking, right? That you're, right. That you're invoking in this piece. Right. Um, so it's, 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 uh, it's yeah. more about the sources kind of affect. Um, right, through the expression of the source. And yeah. the piece is inspired and kept the, the rawness and the drama of it. It's a particular kind of expression, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. T tell, us, tell us about that. I don't, I guess I could read the program note, but like it's Yeah, so Saren Song actually uh, is from a local uh, shadow poppy drama. Mm. And it's a branch of the ancient Qing opera mm. uh, from my uh, hometown. And this story particularly is very sad. It's a eunuch buys a beautiful girl just so that she will be buried when he dies. So after life, mm. uh, she, he would have a wife. <laughs> oh, uh, what oh, attracts wow. me um, is uh, the intonation of the particular opera. And uh, of course, the message is really distorted. Um, but the intonation itself is not only existing in this particular story. But in many, many of the opera repertoires, we can hear in the city, in the mm. city park, and elsewhere when talking about the ancient war heroes, for example, and the beauties, and you know, many, many other stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we just listen to like a little of the opening, and then there's a couple of other spots that I wanted to try to hit. Sure. Um, and this piece is it 2007? Is what this piece, when this piece is from? Is that right? Uh, 20, uh, 2008. Okay. I think I did minor revision 2009. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to mention, you both have albums out recently, right? Um, so, I mean, Lou's was from 2018. Anthony, you have a recent, you, this Cycles and Arrows is older than another recent album of yours, right? Uh, no, that's the most recent one. That's the most recent one. Okay. Was, yeah. Same year as Lou's, um, both on New Focus Recordings, um, which is a, Wonderful label. Run God bless new focus yeah, recordings, right? Yes. Uh, they they do they're they're the best. And um yeah, so uh that's uh that has several works on it and um yeah. Yeah, if, yeah, I mean just uh, yeah, sidebar, like if you're look, looking for stuff to do during quarantine, just go buy the new focus catalog. <laughs> just just spend whatever a hundred a thousand dollars got listening forever and people you know, just so much like so much great stuff there. Yeah, just really. Just, camp, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, cool. So here's the beginning of Lou's um, Siren Song. This is with the Ensemble Intercontemporain. Um, and here we go. <laughs> 
before we listen to the whole piece, yeah, let's, let's stop it there. So I just love this. I mean, I think like, uh, I don't know. I, th- I mean, maybe it just is like something superficial about me that I lo- just love crazy music. Um, but I just, I'd like this opening is just so like manic and all over the place. And it's like, I, I don't even know what image I have, like, like some sort of like cartoons that are changing shapes or something like that. But it's just the piece is nuts, and in in real life, of course, it's a lot it's a lot louder than that too. Um, and so, you know, uh, I of course don't have the cultural reference that you do, Lou. But but it just like somehow I like I hear a piece like this, and I'm like, this is music for me. This is like this is written with me as a listener in mind. Thank um, you. It's, it's just it's it's just uh, you know delightful is the word that I want to use. You know, like um, you know uh, again, just I, I'm. I don't have anything interesting to say today other than just that I like all these pieces, you know, and I like music that makes me sad. And I also like make like music that like, that makes me like entertained and energetic. And I, so um, thank you. I love it. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's very interesting because some, some pieces like this, um, if you say it's so crazy, First time when I heard people say it's so crazy, I was very surprised. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is crazy. Maybe if this is my natural state, am I crazy? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, you, you know, sometimes you're trying to be uh, crazy, but you're not crazy. Sometimes you're trying to be elegant and you look awkward. This, I was not trying to be crazy. And it's crazy. Looking back on it, does it seem crazy to you or not? No. Really? I still don't think so. <laughs> but is, yes, is that a common uh, reaction you've gotten to the piece that like, or to other pieces of yours? Yes. Uh, at least from that time, maybe 10 years ago, a lot of loudness uh-huh. and intensity. Yeah. I just never felt it was enough on page. I will add another note and I'll add another note. Then I look at the page, it's blackened, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not enough. I need more notes, just more yeah, notes. Yeah, right, just more notes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe could we listen listen to a different part of the piece that I think maybe um and so so the 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 story is about a eunuch, and but also like I think is it is there a reference here to someone in your town who had a particular way of singing? Also, is that yes? Right? It's a part of the it's a Lao Qiang, but it's related to Qingxiang, the the ancient opera. Um, particular story, yes. There's some linguistic transliterations um, I use as, as melodic material. But more importantly, that's how people speak almost mm. when they go to a farmer's market, mm. or they fight between a couple, you know, or they shout at their neighbor, uh -huh. you know, and things like that. So. It's uh, then you feel like it's less crazy. You see, it's just the normal state. <laughs> you see, and amongst the noise, with instrumental noise, urban construction noise, all kinds of chaos, because of the density, it's mm. so much more than Chicago, for example, or New York. Oh, okay. And then you have this compressed sound space and compressed everything, right? Bodily contact mm. with strangers, right? Mm. And the smell of things and everything, so it's a it's a different state of intensity. Yeah, yeah. yeah it might it, it might not be that the music is crazy. It might just be that the world is crazy. <laughs> which, which you know, but uh, maybe feels not right these days. <laughs> right, but maybe I uh, when I was composing this piece, I was not thinking about filtering it through the lens of Western concert music or mm -hmm. polishing it. Um, by a certain aesthetic expectation, or kind of trying to, didn't really use much extended techniques, but try to push the extreme when they what they can play. Um, as a result, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, well, let's listen to a, a bit a little bit later. Um, just that I a part that I happen to really like, and you can um say something else about. It. So, so, so that doesn't seem crazy to me. That seems hysterical. Yeah. Is that also wrong? No, it's uh, flirtatious. Okay. It's a conversation repeating. You can imagine between a woman mm. and a man. Mm. It's proposing something. Well, it's a rail. You want to go? Uh, do you want to take a walk? Or mm. do you want to have a drink? Mm. Do you want to just walk along with me? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not. Maybe you'll try again. It's a... Uh, the playfulness. Mm. It's very, I'm thinking you're just like harmless and playful. 
Yeah. Cool. Anthony, is that what you, is that what you hear in this, in, in this situation or? Um... Yeah, 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 for sure. I love that kind of conversational quality here. That is also, um, yeah, it just, it reminds me of, of just like, uh, that approach to, to, um, transliteration of, of speech and gesture, you know, something very kind of dance-like about it, you know, rem it reminds me of like Petrushka, you know, Shrovetide Fair, all these characters spinning in and out, um, totally. Skin. And then yep. like the linguistic yep. intonation stuff is like not quite in the similar way because it's not sung, um, but, but Janacek, uh, for sure. Just that, yeah, that, that engagement with yeah. both folk material and, and, uh, spoken material that right. becomes songified, I guess is the word right. for it. Right. Um, yeah, right. Spot on. When Michael was asking me about Central Conservatory, I forgot to mention one important thing is all composers asked to take folk music classes. Oh, right. Sing sure. in a class, not mm. only songs, but opera excerpts, imitation, um, given the simplified Chinese notation with only one, two, three, four, five, and you have to really listen to your professor or the recordings to imitate everything. And they always emphasize on how you are going to write music that reflects your national identity. Yeah. So wow. I think that's part embedded in me. I never thought really it's like, I'm just me, you know, mm -hmm. it's always who I am, where I'm from, you know, mm -hmm. as part of what culture, you know, um, that uh, is probably not so much emphasis in, in American contemporary music or European contemporary music right? in general. Yeah. That's the yeah. first thing you learn at the conservatories. They would specifically say write in the Chinese style, a particular style, you know, do you a violin like, piece, you know. Like do you ever feel like you uh, both internalize that unconsciously and then at some point had to push against that consciously? Yeah, both, because then I only realized that after I left the country a few years later, oh, my colleagues at Columbia, for example, sitting in the same seminar, who is Italian, maybe, he's not thinking about Italian folk music, you know, for example. And uh, right. what is he doing? He can be yeah. just him and believe he is the unique one in the universe. Yeah. And he writes, represents him, you know has nothing to do with being someone from Milan or Rome. Yeah. That is very shocking back then I was. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I think it's definitely, I think in, in the U S context, it's definitely unusual for a composer to sort of like, I mean, it's even problematic for, comp I mean, for composers to sort of use folk material. I mean, and, and really it's only very specific composers who that's kind of one of the things that they do. Like someone like yeah. Sean Yeager, who is interested in like music from his, his home state of Kentucky. Um, and, you know, and has, has sort of studied it, studied it and thought about it and like, but that's, he's really the exception and not the, not the rule. But Lou, I also, I, I remember when I was studying in St. Petersburg at the conservatory, um, yeah, they also have a, obviously a really strong folk music department there. And, you know, I was just so stunned the first time I saw it, you know, where, where I was like, you know, I showed up at the conservatory, this famous conservatory, like, you know, that's trained all the great, you know, pianists and violinists and great famous conducting conductors and stuff. And like, there's this dude with a balalaika sitting on the steps, you know, <laughs> and I, I just thought I was like, cause I was ignorant, you know, I was like, what is this stupid balalaika, you know, until I, you know, and then I realized they have whole orchestras of balalaikas and it's a very like 
sort of sophisticated and 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 um like really in-depth culture and you know obviously edu- and it's something it, it uh that is taken very seriously educationally speaking and that was really a revelation for me um but that's your that's actually your background yes but for many of us as undergraduate composers who wants to learn you know western music basically who are trained all trained as excellent pianists felt the a class dedicated to folk music in some ways is forced you see for me i'm from a, a, a city and a family who you know there's always folk music around mm-hmm. you know it this is folk music i, I imitate and learn things that way for mm-hmm. many composers it felt forced mm-hmm. okay yeah it's not we we all grew up in the city in the urban environment those folk songs don't really exist in, in every city right Mm-hmm. in everyday life naturally and then you're going to central conservatory then you sit in the classroom you're singing this Hunan boatman song <laughs> and with all the weird microtones mm. you know you're asked to sing as closely to the original as possible you will be called up to sing for the entire class wow the next person yeah that's how you you know and uh yeah when you were 18 year old, you had all your dream of a central conservatory and you go in there. This is one of the first classes you are. Oh, okay. I guess there <laughs> is a reason. And after a while, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But we, we, of course, we didn't know the meaning of it or how important it is to learn early on and to really embrace it mm-hmm. and to make it hopefully become part of you. And that you can not intentionally quote music like that, but it's your food. But it's yeah, but it's part of you, yeah. Yeah. That definitely is not the experience of an American undergrad at a US university or school of music that the first (laughs) class you take is not like American folk music, you know. Um it's a totally different thing. And you don't have to write it down, you just sing. You sing sing, to your professor and your class. Hmm. That sounds great. I want to take that class. (laughs) Um cool. Well, we, we don't have a lot of time left, but I do, I, I want to like maybe listen to, if, 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 if we could um, listen to a little bit of the piece of Anthony's that we were talking about before, um, uh, Double Allegories, which is a piece that you wrote for the Grossman Ensemble um, at the Chicago, CCC, I, I call it CCCC, and so I don't actually, can't remember what it stands for. Chicago Center for Contemporary Composition. Composition. Chicago mouth, Center yeah. for Contemporary Composition that, that Augusta Reed Thomas runs and that, that um, that you wrote up in that they have this excellent Grossman ensemble, um, which is like kind of like new music supergroup or something like that, full of like ridiculously good players. And I, you know, um, you know, I got to drive that Ferrari um, last uh, last fall, and you wrote this piece for it. And do you, do you have the recording of it? Um, yeah, I can bring it up. Um, I know it's, it's going to be kind of a downer to end our interview on, but um, but <laughs> I, I wanted to come back to this sadness and like. Um, do you want to listen to some of like the second part or what, what, what would be a thing that you like? Uh, yeah, since we talked about it. The, yeah, the first part is very kind of frenetic and uh, touch and go. Um, it's So the, the piece is called Double Allegories because I was interested in um, kind of allegorical representations of things like the senses and the seasons mm. and things in sets and cycles, you know, mm. uh, which, which are uh, uh, common themes and tropes throughout the history, especially of visual art, but also in music. So I make allusions to, I was trying to also connect that to um, some aspects of contemporary life. So, you know, the first movement, 
the sensation of touch, you know, is something that, um, for instance, there's a series of paintings that Jan Bruegel um, made of the senses. Um, and I was also thinking about the the uh, Lady and the Unicorn tapestries from the Middle mm -hmm. Ages sure. yeah. are also a series of representations, allegories of the senses. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, what does it mean to think about touch in the 21st century? We, and then that's, you know, you pull out your your iPhone and that's like, you know, you touch something and it, yeah, right. it touches you back, right? With <laughs> haptic sensors and everything. Uh, so it's a little bit of, of playing on, on these particular ideas uh, that are so pretty relevant to us today. That's the first movement, and that's um, a very different uh, affect than the second. The second movement is, um, so the first movement is touch and heat, and the second movement is uh, solitude and winter. Mm. Uh, and that's what we were talking about, um, the uh, allusions to uh, concert music repertoire of, mm -hmm. of solitude, and in the case of Mahler, of... Uh, the solitary one in autumn, um, so not quite winter in that case, but but uh, this uh, very beautiful second movement of Das Lied von der Erde. Were you going to play something? In the yeah, front? yeah, I've got. Yeah, I, what I have here is I have the Schoenberg orchestration for like small ensemble. Oh yeah, which I think actually like works really well in this context, you know, because um, you know, because uh, it's you wrote, you know, your, your thing is for thirteen instruments mm -hmm. plus plus conductor. Um, 13 musicians plus conductor and this is the kind of small ensemble version as well maybe I'll just play just just a little bit of it so we like know you know um, the kind of basic context And that, that oboe like is kind of actually really referred to in the piece, right? Yeah, there are just um, these illusions that pop in and out. So that, that falling forth, uh, mm -hmm. um, and then but it gets rewritten in different ways. Uh, it gets mixed in with, um, you know, different illusions to things like uh, Guten Nacht from Winterreise, which is also in D minor in its mm. original key. Yeah. Um, and, you know, another song, in that case, a song about winter and solitude. Sure. Um, or Footprints in the Snow of Debussy, which is another winter illusion. Mm. Or Beethoven's Ghost Trio, which is a, a kind of, I don't know if it's winter or solitude or both, but it's, just, it's in D minor. It's in D minor, yeah. <laughs> um, and kind of hovering in the background is is not directly alluded to, but just kind of in my consciousness is is Hans Abrahamson's Schnee, of course, yeah, uh, piece that of course we both, all three of us know very well. Um, so so yeah, I mean I'm I'm interested in this kind of like shared body of illusions and knowledge of you know particular cultural tropes or historical tropes, um, and in the case of this movement, it starts out with that kind of like very desolate landscape. And then gradually as layers accumulate, it becomes something like a storm. Mm. Uh, 
with independent layers going at their their own rates of speed and not really interacting with each other anymore, but kind of doing their own thing until it becomes this um, massive sound um, and then dies back down. Mm. The very end of the movement, um, the storm kind of dies down into uh, into breath. So we get the the air sounds kind of take over uh, in the winds and um, and that becomes the transition into into the last movement. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, maybe we can listen to I can jump into maybe like a little bit into the second movement. Sure, sounds great.
I was going to stop it right there. We've kind of gotten into the yeah the storm, and all yeah. the lines have been blurred, and uh, yeah, so it becomes this kind of massive sound at this point. Yeah, yeah, and everything is sort of yeah, moving at different speeds, and actually, some some of the instruments are actually literally moving at an independent tempo from from the rest of the ensemble, um, you know, which creates that kind of like very jumbled effect or something like that, you know. Um, um, and I think that uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I I I'll put it like this. I hope that we'll be able to um, listen to that whole piece in some sort of uh, context um, other than your SoundCloud soon. <laughs> yeah, there there are plans to yeah. uh, for that to happen. Yes, yes, uh, indeed. Yeah, yeah, and I really appreciate the the beautiful you, the job that you did um, putting that piece together and uh, sculpting it and making it into something greater than I could have imagined. You know, just on the page. Well, I mean, you, both of you like you know. But both of you write music that is like, you know, except when it has a click track that is fun to conduct, you know, and so, um, you know, so as long as you don't give me click track stuff, then I'm happy. But uh, uh, no, but seriously, I mean, you, you both, you, your music is, um, I don't want to say it's easy to give good performances of, because, you know, actually both of your music is kind of hard, but, um, but it's so well composed that it, 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 if you just, if we just do our jobs, <laughs> we just sort of do what you tell us to do, it tends to work. So, so thank you for the compliment, but it's actually like, it's just cause you did a good job writing it. That, <laughs> um, and the same is true of Lou. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we're about out of time, um, but you know, but it's just, it's great to talk to you both. And I hope, I mean, and, and how, how are you holding up during this bizarre quarantine period? We're, uh, we're hanging in there. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, uh, as the weather is getting warmer, it's uh, it's harder, of course, to to stay put. Sure. And um, you know, psychologically, this is it's it's starting to get a little bit more difficult. Mm, uh, sure. Not not just with with being holed up here um, together, but also with all the stuff that's going on in the world. Yeah. Uh, it's been a it's been a rough past few days, and it's indeed, hard, yes, it has. Hard not to um, to have that just kind of feel overwhelming especially when you're you know when you're bottled up in, in a small environment yeah um but uh, we we just try to we count the blessings for being together and for um for getting to spend time with family you know and yeah to, to see the the little miracle that is mirabelle mm. uh, yeah and yourself you're, you're we're yeah we're, we're hanging in there also we're um you know we're we're um yeah, I, I, we we feel very fortunate. You know, we 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 live in a house, um, and we have a yard and a cat. And yeah, as you say, it's just um, I'm grateful to grateful to acknowledge my privilege in this in this um, in this context because I'm I'm luckier than than most. Yeah, yeah. I certainly feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so nice to spend time with you, Michael, and also. Likewise to uh talk to my husband uh, uh some uh, non domestic uh chore business yeah <laughs> right it's nice to talk about art and not be like did you change the kitty litter did you right. take out the recycling you know which is right. that's, that's a lot of what's happening in this household <laughs> right um so anyway uh yeah lu wang anthony chung um thank you both so much for joining us Our pleasure. Thank, you. thank you so much for having us yeah, yeah thank and, you so much
what a great idea this is and yeah. Yeah. look forward to catching all the rest as thanks well. yeah. yeah thanks yeah. I'm Michael Lewanski, the conductor of Ensemble Del Niente and the host for some of these fellow traveler podcasts. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, I encourage you to check out our other podcasts. Um, and uh, you might visit our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Del Niente, or you can go directly to our website. That's delniente.com. We hope you'll subscribe and stay in touch with us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>